to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the body of Christ have a consensus that it should be so. And so during this period, the week preceding this period, is called the Passion Week. And so the Church of God, in practice, some churches will, they will study, they will have fasting rather, uh, 40 days before this week. So that they, in their inclination, they are sharing together with Christ fasting before the ministry was born. There are some who have a culture of not eating meat because uh, they have a belief attached to that. Really, it has been so celebrated that some people on Friday eat what they call frijon and uh, beans. And you have various Christians who have various things that uh, they attach to the celebration. But I say to you that none of those things really is in the Bible. But that doesn't mean that, you know, those who believe it, you know, would not do that. I think, as a clergyman, that the reasons why all these cultures developed by those who did them is because, if you look at it, the central point of it is that they are looking for an identity with Christ. I believe we'll agree with that. Those who say they won't eat meat, they said that you are eating the body of Christ. Those who eat frijon, they don't have any reason than to celebrate. Those who fast believe that they are fasting, identifying with Jesus, Jesus' 40 days of fasting and stuff like that. And some wear black on the Friday, they identify that they are mourning. But if you look at this, I'm telling you this because I'm about to show you just brief thing in what you have read. If you look at this, in the time of Jesus Christ, it, this culture that you have in various believers, which is not really, you know, written verbatim from the scriptures, which are things that people have formed as opinions, and then they do it because they felt that by doing that they will identify with resurrection. So are the, the disciples of Jesus Christ. When you were reading in the book of Luke, chapter 24. You will discover that Jesus Christ was, after resurrection, was walking. Uh, two people were walking on the road of Emmaus. And then Jesus Christ decided to join them, having they resurrected. If you look at that story, the story tells us how the people did not recognize that it was Jesus. Really, if you look at from verse 1. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men clothed 
two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? This gives us a picture of disciples of Jesus Christ who did not really understand that what Jesus, the claims of Jesus that he will resurrect will really come to pass. Isn't it? That is... Um, If you look at the record of Matthew, which is what I always love to read, to teach about this, it is the same thing. They went there on the third day. Haven't Jesus told them that he will resurrect on the third day? Now, if Jesus told them he will resurrect on the third day, why would these people go there to look for his body? It means that they did not really understand what Jesus told them. Isn't it? Come on now, let's talk. I want us to reason together and read in all the scriptures. So they did not really recognize what Jesus Christ told, was, you know, told them when he said that, you know, as, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. Okay. Let me get this scripture up in my script, in my, so that we're on the same page. So then, if you look at verse 13, so these are the women who were close to him. They were the people who sat at his feet every time he teaches them the word of God, but yet they didn't have understanding. So they went with Christ throughout his life, and each one of them had a picture of who Christ really is. Though they confirmed that he is the Messiah, in John eleven twelve, 12, where, um, when Lazarus was, was, was raised from the dead. But yet, they did not really have the understanding that he was the Messiah. Verse 13 of chapter 24 says, Now that same day, two of them were walking to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they, were, as they walked, as they talked and discussed, and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still. Their faces downcasted. These are people who have known Jesus Christ, like you who come to church who have known him. One of them named Clopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do not know the things that have happened. I do not know the things that have happened there in these days. What things they asked, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Underline this in your Bible. Powerful in words.
powerful in words and deeds. Before God. I read that again. He said, They replied and said, he was a prophet, powerful in words and deeds, before God and all the people. This is the concept of these people in the mouth. These were, these were disciples of Jesus Christ. Understand, the women went there and they were looking for his corpse. Despite the fact that he said he would have risen again on the third day. And this is after the third day they came to look for his body. These other people were walking hopeless. And though they were talking about Jesus Christ who died, and he said he would rise up on the third day, but yet they did not understand. So when Jesus asked them, they said, this Jesus of a man, he was a prophet. They understood that he was a prophet. He was powerful in words and deeds before God and before men. So, the testimony of these people about Jesus, though they were followers of Christ, ends up in the fact that he was a great prophet, he was a great teacher, and he has attestation of man and God. That is the sect of some Christians on earth today. The first sect of the women who have been with him, and yet they went to look for his dead body, while he had told them he would rise. That is another type of believers today in church. People who come to church, they hear the word of God, they appreciate the word of God, but they do not have understanding of the word. And I will help you understand the major disparity between them and the one who understands. So we have the first set of people who come to church and they believe in God. They believe in Jesus, but they do not have understanding of what God is saying. Then you have the other people who believe in Jesus. They accredit him as a prophet. They recognize that he's powerful. But they do not have the understanding of what the scripture is saying. Similar. But then if you look at verse 25. It says, and Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. Now underline the word foolish. So a Christian can be foolish. The word foolish is not an insultive word. It just means uninformed. That is what it means. Uninformed. Not unschooled, but uninformed. Jesus said, how foolish you are. And how slow to heart to believe all that the prophet has spoken. Did not the Jesus have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Now, understand. Now, Jesus now began to help understand or to help us to understand the reason why Christians are foolish is because they lack the true knowledge of the Word of God. How did we know that? The Bible says in verse 27, I'm beginning from Moses, with Moses and all the prophets. He explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. Can I help us understand this? 
I, if you look at the book of Second Corinthians chapter 3, when it talks about um, uh, wrong doctrine and uh, the old and the new, something that we have drawn out from that is this. If you read the Old Testament, you must look for Jesus in it. Isn't it? Come on now. Jesus spoke to them from the book, from the Old Testament, Moses to all the prophets. This is not a five minutes teaching. Alright? When Jesus read Moses to them, because these guys, they know the Torah. By the age of 12, you do by misfire, you must know the Torah in your head. Okay? They know the Torah in their head. All the stories about Jesus, they know. But this time around, Jesus began with the, with the story of Moses, and then to all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning Jesus. When a Christian cannot bring Jesus out of the Old Testament, he goes into error. Are we together now? Come on now, let's speak together. Are you with me? Tell somebody, Happy Easter. You are very welcome. So you are just being welcome now. Now listen, therefore. Don't miss this one. Jesus spoke from Moses and all the prophets, but he was revealing himself, Christ. Whenever Christians derogate from the center core of the purpose of the Bible, who is Christ himself, then Christians will go into error. All erroneous teaching in the Old Testament came by this lack of understanding. But then what did Jesus do? It says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. These people are not aware that this is Jesus, you know. But they love the Bible, you know. But they love the Old Testament. And they don't have the knowledge of the new revelation from it. And I love this. Vastari says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Shall we read verse 31 together? There are two things that you learn from this. One is this, uh, the symbolic meaning of bread. But the second thing is the life of Christ. Why did they recognize him? They have worked with Christ for, for a few years, and they have known how Jesus breaks his own bread. When they come to the table to break bread, they know how Jesus breaks bread. Let me tell you something, Christians. There are some of you who come to church every Sunday. You are classified under uninformed because you don't know Jesus. There are some of you who always make sure you come regularly. Anytime there is Bible study, you are there. Some really believe in church. I think by attitude you can infer this, that they believe they know the whole Bible. If you know the whole Bible, you will have been the founder of a church somewhere. That many people are running to you because of your knowledge of the Bible. If you are not so, Come on now. The difference between a professor and a student is that the professor has known what the student is being taught. 
several years and several times over. That's only the difference. If you do not come to have the knowledge of Christ, no wonder. Your achievement in God will be very minimal. Very, very minimal. I tell you this. There is no magic word about it. The Bible says, these people recognize Jesus because of his style. A Christian cannot know the style of Christ if you have not read the gospel. So see how he dealt with various circumstances. Even if an unbeliever tells you a wrong thing about Jesus, you will be confused. Because you don't have the true knowledge of what the gospel says. But of course, symbolically, the second part of it is that the bread is the word of God. It is the word of God. <laughs> Whenever a man reads the word of God, his eyes are open. Hallelujah. He says their eyes were open and they recognized him. Nobody can recognize Christ unless your eyes are open. And he disappeared from their sight. Look at what the people say. They ask each other, We are not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Now, this tells me this there are many Christians whose heart burned when they hear the word of God, but yet they, they do not, they lack the knowledge of the word. Are we together now? Your heart be burned. You have the zeal. Wow, this, what a teaching. Mm mm. But the knowledge of the word comes by somebody committing himself to study the knowledge of Christ. Because if you are a person who reads the word of God, when any minister of God is opening the scriptures, your heart will have affirmation of what he's saying because you have read the, several things, many things you read at your own private time. When the minister of God is speaking the word of God, the spirit inside you will be picking those affirmations from various things that you have read. That is the word that brings life. That is the word that can change the life of a man. Two significant, no, one, let me say, one main significant common de denominator between the, the women who went to the place, to the, uh, to the gr uh, graveside, of Christ, and these people of Emmaus, and also the next one I will read to you is this. Their eyes were not open. Though they were close to Christ. Alright? The last one of it is the same book of Luke that we read. That 24 from verse 44. 24. Let's go further. Really from verse 36, it says, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself appeared among them and said, Okay, you know what? Let me read from 33 so that you can have understanding of that. These two people who were discussing with Jesus... The Bible says in verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Now these ones are informed, okay? There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. And saying, it is true, the Lord has risen 
and has, has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what they had, what, what they had that what had happened on the way to Emmaus, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread in his style. Verse 36 says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now listen to this. These are the, the prodigies, the top guys. They were startled and frightened, thinking, <laughs> hallelujah, <laughs> why should they be afraid? Jesus was standing before them the same form. They know him. Okay? And they were frightened because they thought they saw the word ghost used by NIV really means spirit. Because it's not promoting the doctrine of ghosts that people pass around about dead people appearing. That's not what he's saying. When a person dies, he can never appear anywhere. Said to that, when we die, we are either taken to hell or taken to heaven straight away. There is no place where dead people are kept and they can marunda about. It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen. A dead man is gone. Okay? But what Jesus is saying today, I'm not a spirit, which means he's talking about the spirit of angels and, you know, other spirits that God created. He's not talking about human, man, human being. It says spirits don't have bone. They don't have flesh. But this is the point there. The people were afraid. And Peter was among them. Eleven, he said. The eleven. My dad is the twelve minus. I didn't say so. I always say this, you know. Let me correct this. You know, some Christians misbehave sometimes. And people call them the Judas. No, there is no Christian who is a Judas. You need to understand this. Judas was born to crucify the Savior. Apart from him, no human being was born to do anything of such. Okay? So if you are one of those people who label other Christians as Judas, repent because it is a sin before the Lord. Okay? It came by Satan and believers must not practice such. There is no Judas anymore. One Judas, he had done his job. And he's gone. So because of somebody's naivety, you don't call him Judas. Because Judas never will be saved. And people who misbehave today, they can repent tomorrow and, be, and still make heaven. So let me carry on with you there now. Okay. So they were startled. He said, peace be unto you. Verse 37. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost or spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh or spirit does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I do have. So they touch him. When, they have said, when he has said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe, 
They still not believe it because of joy and amazement. This is interesting. They were now overwhelmed with joy. From bewilderment to joy. So there is a part of them that is conscious that this is the Lord. But then there's another part of them that is saying that, but he cannot be. He died. You have to get rid of your old belief to understand this new dispensation. There are many Christians who have allowed their old doctrine and old belief to influence their understanding of Jesus Christ. The Bible says we looked at it yesterday and for the past three days. This, we began by looking at the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And then we went into exploring the liberty that believers have in Jesus Christ. Let me help you understand this for today. This is the reason why Christians fall into old doctrinal errors like we saw in the scripture. In the book of John chapter, 31, verse, um, uh, chapter 8 verse 31. It says to the Jews who have believed in him, Jesus said, don't go there, just remain where you, where you are, you are on, the, on, the, on the projector. Jesus said, if you, if you listen to me, if you obey my word, my teaching, you are really my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth what? And Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says what? It was no longer... Are we talking this morning? So we recognize that Jesus said, when you are free, you are free indeed. When the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. But it is very complicated for some Christians to believe that. So they said, after you have been born again, somebody must conduct deliverance for you. They are just like these people. Okay? When Jesus said, if, you are, if the Son of Man set you free, you are free indeed. Alright? And the, the minister will say that, no, 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 no. It's not just easy like that. When you get born again, somebody needs to conduct deliverance for you. The question people should be asking them is that, who conducted for you the deliverance? And if they had a pastor who conduct deliverance for them, you should ask them, who conducted deliverance for that pastor? And you will come to one of them that nobody conducted deliverance for. And you see, it's a wrong doctrine. It's a wrong doctrine. We explore also into this generational causes issue. And we recognize in the book of Romans chapter, chapter 3 verse 25 that God said, the Bible says, God in his forbearance decided to let the sins committed beforehand go unpunished. And chapter 4 verse 7 says, blessed are those whose sins are forgiven, blessed are the people whose sins the Lord will never count against them. Now if the Bible says God will never count our sins against us, and the Bible says in Romans 3.25 that God had forgiven us all the sins beforehand. And we look also in Colossians chapter, chapter 1. Go into that one, chapter 1 of Colossians. Let's see verse 22. We'll come back into this 41 of 24. Go there. Yes. Shall we read it together? Let's read from verse 21 so that we can understand it better. Shall we together, please? Verse 21. Once you were... Uh-huh. Did you see that? Now, but now, verse 22. Uh-huh. 
So the Bible says, now that we are born again, we are presented by God to himself without blemish. Yes? Holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If the Bible sees you, who is born again, because you accepted Jesus, the Bible sees you holy. If anybody says he's conducting deliverance for a holy man, what is he delivering him from? If the Bible says that God presented you to himself without blemish, how can someone tell you God is punishing you because of your past sins? Think about it. Or how can someone tell you that God is punishing you because of your forefathers' sins? You will recognize that those things are trash, they are lies of the devil. The devil is in the business of lying and deceiving God's people. Do we get me now? Come on now, do we agree together? Say amen. And the last verse says, you are free from accusation. I tried during these past three days to explain to you some of those terminologies in the perspective of law. Okay? And I did that so that you can have a true understanding because Paul was a lawyer and many times he writes, he writes legal languages. And if anybody has a true understanding of legal language, it is easier to explain better what the stance of Paul is. And that's what I've done with you. So that you do not have any doubt. If someone tells you that you are suffering from forefathers' sins, and God said you are without accusation, do they jail? No. Certainly God is true. And inevitably the pastor is a liar. What about redemption of firstborn? And some practice it so religiously. And they will tell them that every year they must make a payment for the redemption of their firstborn. Those things are by virtue of the fact that the ministers do not understand the scripture. They read the Old Testament, but they did not see Christ in it. Because in the book of Romans chapter 8, look at verse 29 together. Let us read it together. Romans 8, 29. Shall we? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn. So while in the Old Testament, firstborn is by virtue of maternal birth. In the New Testament, firstborn is by virtue of spiritual birth. And only one firstborn is born, which is Christ Jesus. The rest of us are not firstborn. So when you get born again, you lose your firstbornship. That is, any curse that could attach to that is being expiated for by the blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So that in the New Testament, you and I are second born. And not only that, the Bible says that we might be, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. But it says, for those who God foreknew, like you and I, he has also predestined us, pre-programmed us, to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, so that we are like Christ. No wonder, go back to Colossians chapter 1 verse 22 for me. No wonder God presented us to himself as holy, all right, and blameless, and without accusation. Are we together? So now, you can see from the dogma, or, you know, the, the dogma and dilemma, that um, the, people, the, two, the people on the road to Emmaus, they were. And then when Jesus appeared to them again, you know, the eleven, haven't Jesus said, touch my hand, and they touched the hand, and they put their finger in the hole 
of the nail and they now saw that his flesh and blood, they went from being miserable and fearful to overjoyed. But yet, they can't comprehend. Did we see that? Come on now, go back there. Uh-huh. While they were still, while they still did not believe, believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? We have Christians like that, isn't it? But let me help you understand today how you can get away from that to a place of real relationship. Look at verse 42. They gave him a piece of boiled, broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Did you see this? Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Lord of Moses, the prophet and the Psalms. Come on. Let me help you understand this. You know, the, the, the other time we spoke about the laws of Moses and prophet. Here it says, the laws of Moses, the prophet, and the Psalms. It says, I have fulfilled them. I'm saying that to you because I met a pastor sometime who told me that apostle, when I taught them about showing them about the liberty for Christians, and showing them clean clear that a Christian cannot be cursed by anybody, neither can you suffer from generational curse and stuff like that. And I also taught them about the fact that a Christian must not pray for his enemy to die. Because Jesus said, bless your enemies. Pray for those who despisefully use you. And I showed them that anybody who is taught in any church to pray that his enemy should die cannot enter heaven. And I repeat myself. If anybody who is a Christian joins the sect of those who profess to be Christians... And they pray for their enemies to die. And even some of them have gone to the place where they glory that their prayer kill a human being. Anyone who is like that is a murderer. And the Bible tells us no murderer has place in eternity. I would together now. Because Jesus said, pray for those who curse you. He said, bless them, curse not. Now, this guy said to me, but what about the book of Psalms that say, contend with those who contend with me? Fight against those who fight against me. Now, this scripture says, Jesus said, I have fulfilled the Psalms. He, Jesus has done the fight against those who fight against you already. He had contended against those who contended against you already. He had taken it to the cross and he defeated principles and powers. He made a public show of them triumphing over them in him. He had fulfilled the book of Psalms. The only Psalm that is remaining for you and I is the Psalms of praise. The Psalms of thanksgiving. For battle, he had won the battle. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Let me read from Luke, go to verse 13. Let me give you some few stuff and we come back here. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Let's read together. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. He loved. Who did that? God the Father. Look at the next verse. Shall we read together? In whom we'll have the forgiveness of sins. Did you get that? So when you are born again, God takes you out of the dominion of darkness by himself. And he brings you into his own kingdom. Okay? 
Satan cannot take you from there because it's God who brought you there. You are the only one who can walk away from it. I will gather now. Look at chapter 2 from verse 14. Read chapter 2 from verse 13 too. Let's see that. Colossians. Eh? Shall we read it together? When we were dead. Hey, stop. Not everybody is reading here. Look at the person beside you who is not reading. Give me a knuckle. Oh yeah, let's read. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm very sure that nobody suffered injury by being knocked. So I'm free from any liability. <laughs> Alright, shall we go on together? When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you what? Alive! Tell somebody I'm alive. Say to somebody I'm alive. That is the gospel of resurrection. Sin kills. Salvation gives life. He says God made us alive with Christ. He gave us all, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written codes with His regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing on the cross. Then He left 15. I love it. Shall we read 15 together? Tell somebody I have victory. Say, I have victory. So Psalm 35 that say, fight against those who fight against me is for the old people because Jesus has not fought for them at the time. A Christian cannot read Psalm 35. Jesus fulfilled it already. If you turn that towards the battle, you are wasting your time. Because I think 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, thanks be to God who always gives us victory. Who fight now? Jesus has finished the fight. Ephesians 5 says, no, um, 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 uh, 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 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5, I suppose. They will wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principal and power. No, Ephesians 5. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principal and power. Who wrestle? It's you. We don't wrestle against man, we wrestle against demons. Isn't it? Six, yeah. We, we wrestle against demons, not man. So if your father was a witch, your, prince, your mother was a wizard, thank God for you, you are the son of a wizard. Hallelujah. If your wife is a mammy water, blessed be you, you are the husband of mammy water. Take the mammy away from the water, take your wife and go home. Forget about the mammy and stuff like that. When you, when you were in the altar and they asked you that, will you take this woman for your wedded wife? And you said, yes, I do. And they asked from the woman, will you take this man as your wedded husband? Did you hear two people speak? Did you hear two people respond? Only one person said, I do, isn't it? And that is your wife, amen? When your wife said, I do, did you hear another voice say, I do? So if anybody now tells you that there is another person, your wife is married to the queen of the coast, or married to the coast of the queen, they are liars. Your wife only marry you, period. If they say your wife is a mammy water, blessed be the Christian who married mammy water. Because and you and the mammy and the water, you are heaven bound. Hallelujah, somebody. All this trash was introduced by Lucifer. When he, di- when he addresses human beings who are naive, uneducated about the word of God. People who are still having doubt because they have not studied Christ in the word. They have opinion and they look for a word to back their opinion. That's the wrong way of learning. Are we together now? 
The word of God is true forever. Jesus fulfilled Moses, prophets, and the Psalms. I'm almost finished with you for this hour, and then we will pray. The next verse it says, verse 45, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So, understand now. Why was the disciples like that? They didn't understand the scriptures. Why did they not understand the scriptures? Their mind was not opened. There are many people in church. You know something? If you always come to church, and when you leave the church, they ask you what was preached, and you can't tell them, your mind is short. Your mind is short. Two, two elements are responsible to short the mind of a man. One is the devil. From tomorrow, we we'll start looking at the tricks of Satan. That is, you know, spare and how it operates. Okay, the Lord will teach you about that. But the second thing that can close the mind of a man is you can close your own mind by not educating yourself appropriately. Your mind is shot against a career you did not learn. You become an alien in the field you have not studied. But when you study the field, you become a master in the same field which you are alien. These people have never studied Christology from the Old Testament. That is the major point. They read the whole Old Testament. They can read it from their head. And yet they didn't see Christ in it. And Christ is written deep in it. The purpose of every story of Old Testament is to reveal Jesus Christ. And this is the same mistake that many Christians are doing. Church is not a club. It is a university of learning God. Hallelujah. When you graduate in church, you graduate in degrees in Godology. Amen forevermore. Yeah, somebody don't understand. Some of you are still in the primary school of Godology. First Corinthians chapter 3 applies to you. Some of you are still just trying to graduate from secondary school. Maybe some are still in kindergarten. And then some are graduating to do their A-levels in Godology. And then some are doing their first degree, second degree, third degree, fourth degree, fifth degree. Now let me help you somebody. Find where you are now. You know something about God. You may be in a class just for a few days. And other people may be in the class for 15 years. Because they are the people who come to church for 15 years, say prayer, I say amen, that's the end of it. They are like the people of Emmaus. Or people of uh, the, 12, the 11 that Jesus appeared to. After they have argued and Jesus said, I am the one. They became happy to the place where they can't even believe. <laughs> oh my, my. Listen to me, therefore. Your mind must be open to the scriptures. Your mind must be open to the scripture, And the Lord will open your mind. It says, He opened their mind to understand the scripture. Now, what is the scripture? Verse 46, Jesus established the precedence. He said, he told them this, and that this is what is written, that the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to, the, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. I challenge you today, the purpose of resurrection is for you to preach the, the gospel of Jesus. To tell people about repentance and forgiveness. To tell the sinners that they don't have to die in their sin. There is a way out of hell. 
You can get out of your sin and you can be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And this is a duty for all who have known Jesus. Anybody who does not testify about Jesus, I, I will doubt whether he really knows him. Because the purpose for your salvation, excuse me, when you go to university and you pass, exactly when you get first class, will you not tell everybody? You even tell your enemies. Isn't it? I can't hear you. Some of you want to tell your enemies so that he can know that without him, God did it for you. Hallelujah, somebody. And either you do it in contention or you do it to praise God, it doesn't matter. And some of you are going to tell your best friends, do you know what? I didn't expect it, but I got a first class. Why some of you, will not be, you can't wait to let your employer know. Actually, the employer has been waiting for your result before they will determine whether they will take you or not. Isn't it? You will never stop talking about it all your life. When you give back to children, you say, when I was in university. I got first class. When you give back to your grandchildren, you say that when I used to go to university. So how can't you talk about Jesus like that? Come on. How can't you talk about Jesus like that? This is the reason why Jesus resurrected. He died and resurrected. He said he died and resurrected so that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Nations are waiting for you, somebody. I say nations are waiting for you, man. You don't understand when I say nations are waiting for you. I went to Aldi during the week, and I recognized that the man who started Aldi died this year, isn't it? Ikea, Ikea, not Aldi. Is it Aldi they call you old Aldi? Ikea, I Aldi, Ikea, I Aldi, because I mean some people here may call it Aldi. Who knows? And Ikea. Let me say this to you. When you go to Ikea, you will care. <laughs> we went to Ikea. And then we were talking that the man who started this Ikea died in old age. And they told us the story of this man this year or so. How he started it from a very small shed. A very small shed some years ago. And I was sharing with people around me about the cycle of God. Which is the cycle of government of this world and the cycle of finances of this world. And was saying to them that we have come to another cycle where you will see a lot of people with great innovation coming up that look small. And in five years, ten, ten years, ten, twenty years, and they take over the whole nation. And the same thing with the gospel. The gospel of God had gone round and come back to the zero. Now, people are looking for something different. They are looking for something new. Listen to me. When you say you are a Christian, people expect some manifestations from you. Even in the world, who don't believe in you? Alright? When Satan close gap with them, they will remember that it's a Christian here. And when they come to you, they expect you to do something different from other ordinary man. Isn't it? Come on now, come on and answer me. That is the reason why it's your time. It says you will preach the name of Jesus to all nations. To all nations. Anything God blesses you with, you must be nation-minded. You are a business person. You are not supposed to be a local businessman. How could, how could God give you a business just in a local shop there, like my mother's village? And that's the end of it. No, that's not it. God wants you to reach nations. And you can preach the gospel through your business. Listen to me. You can preach. If you, if you succeed in business, if you are not in the field, you can sponsor missionaries in the field. 
Hear me. There are places in the world right now that people dare to go. But some Christians are preaching in the midst of them. Boko Haram people, some people are preaching to them. ISIS, people are risking their life. I'm going to preach for, to ISIS. Listen to me. Either worship us, some of us go there. So, therefore, the gospel must be preached by everyone who has been saved. The reason why after salvation, God did not kill you and I. If heaven is the only benefit, the moment somebody gets there, you should be killed. Correct? Hey, did you not hear me? If heaven is the only benefit, why is God leaving us here? God is leaving us here because it is somebody who preached to you. If God killed him, you will hear the gospel. So if somebody preached to you, then you also, you must know. If you wake up in the morning and you, you, you have a whole day to live, that day God wants you to tell, some, to tell somebody about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, about the forgiveness you can find in Jesus. Many people are waiting for that. They pass beside you in the tube. They sit beside you in the train. Their spirit is crying out to your spirit, but you did not respond to them. And they went to die and went to hell. People who will commit suicide will be sitting with you in the tube only because they are going on their route to go and commit suicide. A Christian must speak it up. A Christian must speak about Jesus. When you open your mouth to just say to that person, do you know Jesus loves you? He can destroy the spirit of suicide instantly. It will really destroy it. Instantly. This is the purpose of Resurrection Sunday. It's not just for to celebrate resurrection, but to do what the resurrected one says. I love this. It says, He told this to them. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations. Hallelujah. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Can I say to you, Christ the Tabernacle has this mandate that the gospel of Jesus will be preached in every nation as a testimony. Now let me say there are some nations that have shut their doors against Christians. Nations like India, you cannot apply for a missionary visa as a Christian and get it for India. Okay? But we have Indians evangelizing India. Alright? So if I cannot go to India to preach, I can send my money to those who are preaching there. You know, during the anniversary, you see them coming here, isn't it? Isn't it? Now, how would Jesus say to you that you, I saw you in India? You are the one who really entered Nepal with the gospel of Jesus. I said, Lord, but I never left England. And he said, okay, look at your record. The money you sent to India made way to raise a pastor from Nepal. Understand that these people who are Christians in nations like Saudi Arabia, in India, and all stuff like that, and all the Arab nations in Syria. We have Christians in Syria. All right? This church is not to plant churches in cities because they are comfortable and you can live fine. We have to penetrate the, 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 most, the most unrich place. I mean, places that Satan has shut the door completely. 
We, we want to penetrate each of those nations, each of those cities. And the work God is doing through Christ for the Banaku in India is amazing. Hindus getting saved and reaching out to other Hindus. It is their people that can reach out to them. Understand this. It is our mandate. So if you cannot go, your money can go. You can put aside something on a monthly basis for missions. You know something in Christ the Tabernacle? Our audited account is in the public, public place every year. Alright? This is not a church where some people come and raise money. We don't raise money here, do we? Do we raise money in CFT? We don't raise money in CFT, but our bills are met by us. And in CFT, every pastor of CFT tithes, pay tithes, including me, the general vassal and the founder, including my household. We lead you by example. We will not tell you to do what we cannot do because the Bible commands us to do so. Now we have the mandate to take the gospel to every nation. Let me help you understand. Every one of you who come from Kenya, from Uganda, from uh, you know, uh, Latin America, from, uh, uh, from uh, uh, Caribbean, from uh, Asia, and all the rest of it, begin to think, how can we reach your people? How can we reach? If you came from that kindred, who is God looking for? It's you. He brought you here. As a living stone to be fired up so that you can go back the gospel you had me teach. Preach it there. Raise an army of people there. People who will preach the gospel without any deceit. People who will give their life for the cross because you are here. Take the gospel and go back to where you are. Raise men and women. If you take your holiday in a year and spend one week there just educating them with what you have been educated, you will, God will raise so many people through you. This is the mindset you should have in this house. Everybody. Some of you are, but others should cut the fire. Because we have the joint assignment by God that the gospel be preached in every nation. This is the message of Resurrection. Shall we stand up on our feet, please?